Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Comfort Free Conversations, and we're here to undo everything you think you know. Hello, hello, welcome. I've been excited for this talk. I know. I'm just kind of like I'm on. I'm I'm on an adventure with you. So wherever we take this is where we take this. I like to flow. And when I say flow, I mean like I do like to rap, but I'm not like a rapper. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I don't. <laughs> I do like poetry, though. What's up? So what was on your mind? Political space. Roll us into this journey, this adventure that you're taking us on of thinking well, and philosophy. Well, first off, to everyone who's coming in, I just, first I just want to say welcome. Welcome to Comfort Free Conversations. That is what I do. Um, and today we have E. Ruth with us. She is on this show today, and we're going to be talking about the, the title is Political Grace, right? So we're, we're talking about it's, 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 it's meant to be an ironic title, right, where we have this dialogue about how we deal with politics and conversations. Why is it taboo? Should it be taboo? And should we be as agreeable or as we are in society? And what does that have to do with this idea of political grace? So that, that's, that's a brief introduction of what we're here to accomplish today. Um, yeah. and, it, and we plan to have some, uh, maybe some tense, un- uncomfortable conversations that need to be had. So, so E. Ruth, uh, just introduce yourself a little bit to the, to the audience. Your bio says you are a Gen Z mother and a millennial. Yeah. Yes, I'm a Gen Z married mother of four, so I'm fighting this these battles in these stereo streets. I'm just kidding, um, but I'm having these conversations on it. Obviously, is because I want to forward my generation, right? I want my children to have a great legacy. I want them to be living in the world that I wasn't given, mm. um, and so I talk about my perspective and I try to learn from others as much as possible. And I write poetry. Um, I have a lot of things that I plan on doing in this life. I don't know what they all are now, but right now I'm on this adventure of really interacting with learning about people and trying to change my own mind sometimes. Really, that's kind of like I'm trying to figure it out as well. So that's a little bit about me. I'm 36. I live in Georgia. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how much to give. I'm an older millennial. So really <laughs> in. Reel me in. Okay. Well, well, thank you for the introduction. That's actually helpful. I think it makes you more personable. I think people listen to you better if they know a little bit about you. Um, that actually makes you more interesting for me too. So, um, well, just to, just to start, like, well, I think I have a couple questions in mind that I, I want to have start a little bit of dialogue about one of them being, um, why is politics taboo to talk about in society? Like, why do we make it this untouchable thing? What do you think it's, first? Isn't that from the old folks, though? Like, aren't old folks always telling us, like, in my day, you never talked about politics or religion? And that's what I always heard growing up, is that you never talked about those two at the workplace or anything. So, And, but that's, and that's still a normal, though. Like, for example, religion, depending on the audience that you're around, is still very, like, taboo, like, sensitive area to touch on. And so is politics, I would say, for the most part. Like, mm. like there's some really... Like, if you mention it, it's, it, it changes things. Like, a lot of friendships okay. end over things such as politics. That's true. You know what's weird? Mm. I've, never, I've always talked about politics, and I've always talked about religion. I think, I think you're kind of right. Like, and and this, is, this, is the, this is the central 
point of my podcast, what gave me the idea to create it in the first place. It's like your worldview is inseparable from any conversation you ever have, right? So even if right. you're talking about normal, like, like being in a neutral space where you leave your religion to the table and you're talking about a conversation of philosophy, atheism is still a philosophy. So you're still interacting in some worldview. Yes. Regardless, like inevitably. So like, I don't think it's reasonable to say, well, leave your beliefs at the table because your beliefs affect everything that you, that you do, like the order of the world, right? Yes. It, it affects how you see people, what happens to you when you die? Um, where did you come from? And, and, and uh, I think how did the universe come about are the big four worldview questions. And if those are the big four worldview questions, each one of those things drastically uh, change how you see how things should be conducted. Yes. Yeah. That's so I was, go, no, go ahead. No, I was agreeing with you that I was saying that's so true. I was sitting here thinking about this and, you know, I was at, in the talks that I've been having as of late, you know, sometimes a little contentious, a little, a little contentious, <laughs> a little, <laughs> little feelings hurt. I mean, I, and, I, and I understand it, right? Because to the whole point, it's been so taboo. We've not been talking about it. It's, we're not having healthy conversations about politics in this country or religion. It's always turning into some battle. And it's, it's unnecessary. <laughs> Just say that you carry on. That's one, that was my two cents. No, and I, and I think you're right. And, and so I just, I wonder like what started, what started the origin of that? Like, why is it a cultural norm to leave those things at the table? I don't know. Um, I think that's fascinating. So an, another central idea that I think uh, drastically pertains to this conversation before we really get into the meat and potatoes um, I think, and I've mentioned this before, but there's this idea or the notion that to love someone is to agree with them. And I think mm -hmm. that's something that's really prevalent through society. Like we conflate those ideas very heavily. We so do. if the moment that I disagree with you on a central issue is the moment that you question our relationship, which I think is very interesting. Well, doesn't it, de doesn't it depend on, though, what the person says and how they say it that actually can, ca can cause the relationship to fray? Because it may not be the subject itself, but it's like, I'm going to give you an example, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a sensitive person, okay? I am. Mm -hmm. I am. Y'all are sensitive to a certain degree, right? I think to some of us, I'm more outwardly open about it. I'm not like, I'm not pretending like it's not there. It is there. Is there. <laughs> um, but the interesting thing about this, right, is I remember my, step, my stepsister and I got into it because my husband's a dreamer. He's a DACA kid. You know, a dreamer kid, yeah, right? Knows a dreamer. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, so, well, well, explain a little bit because everyone okay. may not. So a dreamer, a DACA kid is like someone that was born in another country, but came here through no fault of their own. Their parent is likely a resident of this uh, of America um, or had some kind of worker visa or something and that they were legal. But their children were they those parents never got their children in um, legal too. For his reasons, black single mom, if you imagine struggling, you know, it, did, it didn't happen. So anyway. So Obama came and actually um, was trying, they are trying to do something about immigration, um, but Obama came and did the DACA order or ex um, executive order, which basically allowed for those kids who got here through no fault of their own, who've grown up as Americans to be able to work, just get mm -hmm. a job, just mm -hmm. contribute. Mm -hmm. 
that's pretty okay so that's good so so basically so the example that you're giving and the relevance to it is this is a big deal for him to have rights in this country and so if someone has an opinion about that then they're basically implying something about him and his rights to maybe land or something of that nature right yeah so like the story goes is like so we're on social media and we're the, the question comes up like what did obama do and i'm like well for me we got daca <laughs> and guess what that did that allowed my husband to work and guess what that did that allowed us to not be in poverty and guess what that did we got to eat every day and guess you know like for me it was like i was just able to like just be a person and just like you know live Mm. <laughs> like a, you know so it was basic for me and then her response was as she got a little heated she was well that's you know i said well you sh-, i said well for me it helped my family and then some somehow in the response it, it became well that ain't my fault she should have stood in line like everybody else did and i'm like oh black people do it too <laughs> oh boy oh boy and i walked away for a little bit just to give some space mm-hmm. so yeah that's so you policy. sound like you sound like you've had a lot of, well, because you're open about it, it sounds like you've had a lot of tense experiences then. And um, You know what? That Weirdly enough, that was like the first, and it was family. That was weird, oh, wow. right? Right. Well, girl, what you been doing? I thought we was family. <laughs> she just was like, it was just too much, yeah. So, so then what about people with more radical beliefs? Like, how do we, how do, okay, and then here's, here's the thing. What if the priority that we have right? The specific priority that we have is at disadvantage to someone else. So let's say, and, and, and let's, let's put Trump on the, on, on the forefront, right? So a lot of people say that if you support Trump, then you are racist, right? And I I definitely agree. And I had to, and I already agree, but I had to think about why I agreed. And I was just really contemplating on it. And it's like, you may not be supporting Trump because he is racist, Maybe you're supporting Trump because he um, he he maybe in some I don't know this to be true, but this is just a idle example. Maybe he improved the economy or maybe he improved the economy for you and you made more money because of Trump in this instance or whatever the case may be. But implicitly, because that was the policy that you were looking for, it was drastically affecting the lives of so many other people. Um, And and so implicitly, that is racist. Because right. you're benefiting, you're benefiting from a privilege and a and a systemic privilege that is an a, oppressive to an entire people. So maybe it's it's almost it's very similar to um, systematic racism, right? It's not that you're mm-hmm. implicitly racist because you benefit from this uh, this this service that America provides and doesn't and not equally to all. So I was th- right. sitting there thinking about that, and I'm like, huh? So. So you implicitly, by, by association, even if that wasn't your main objective, then inherently you are racist. Right. And I, don't, I think that people, have, so that's a hard pill to swallow, right? Like so right. white people, when they hear that, it is like an attack. And I learned this just recently because here it is. I'm, I am in the position of, I really want us to all get to a place, not just me. I'm not mm-hmm. important. Right. Like I'm just a person, <laughs> you know, we're all just people. Right. I mean, I'm important in the sense that I, my life is valuable. I have a right to be here and have a purpose, but I'm not important in the sense of like I'm any better than anybody else because I can go literally walk out my house and fall in f- on my face. And that's the end of me, you know, just <laughs> like you can, anybody else can. Right. But I'm just presuming that, well, you know what? 
the sun's got to come up every day. I might have a chance tomorrow. So I'm going to live my life as best as possible with the chance of being here tomorrow, which means I got to check myself today. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens in some of these conversations is that what I'm trying to do is hold a mirror up to everybody else as well as holding it up to myself, mm-hmm. right? So if I am getting to a place where I'm starting to recognize certain behaviors that are racist, even within me, right? The example I gave with my sister, if I was talking to a white person, I'd be like, she's racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Black. And I'm like, oh, so it's in all of us, right? Mm. So for I'm pulling it from myself and recognizing the behaviors in what I would expect a white person to do, but it's a black person. I know mm-hmm. we have a big problem. It's all of us. We're all in, in, into it. So my thing is like, if I'm saying this to a white person, like, you know, what? Hey, we all got a little racism in us. We all got white supremacy in us because we've been conditioned into it. Don't get offended. It's the truth. We do. Now let's talk about it. What's yours look like? <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? Like, that's that's kind of like my thought process in it because we're not going to do it the way that our our parents have been doing it. They're just mm-hmm. like vacation. Let's unify. Let's let's all make it better. It's like you seen what you did last week. You know, one was going to be a great year, and then y'all came with this BS. You know, ironically that you say that, um, and ironically, just in the nature of politics. Um, I tend to believe that politics is one of the most religious settings that exist and not because of faith, but because, for example, let's let's say the LGBTQ, right? You use the pronouns because you're you're saying that you see them and their experience. Right. And so by acknowledging the pronouns that they want, then you're acknowledging uh, something that they've struggled with um, in terms of identity and they've come to a resolution about it. And that means something. But I think oftentimes with all of the labels that are out there, we minimize that, right? We minimize that. Like there's, there's all of these labels in terms like people first language. So when you're referring to someone who may be disabled or like may have a, be a paraplegic, you acknowledge them as a human before you acknowledge them as a paraplegic, right? But when you're, when you're so used to reciting all of these terms and all of these labels, right? I think sometimes you can lose the meaning behind like the labels mm-hmm. that exist and, and why yes. they're important. And then, so I, you know, yeah. it's just funny that you say that. No, that's very true, and I, and that's kind of like the word. This is this is a thing that I'm learning about white supremacy in our country too, like and like politics and religion and all of it is being like in the same pot. Actually, the pot is the white supremacy, and like the politics is the stew inside of it, and then like the religion is in there. It's all just being stirred up like a witch in brewery. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I play with this sometimes. I I get very fantastical about like this world that we're living in and i try mm-hmm. to see it sometimes like a in like a lord of the rings way or maybe like a harry potter way or like maybe like a uh anything that's like a fit matrix way like i try to like who are the characters mm-hmm. who am i you know mm-hmm. what role do i play you know what i mean and to what you to your point what you just said is like we're just not we're missing so, sort of like the patterns of like how our country runs Mm-hmm. And it's very subtle, but it's also in your face. You know what I mean? Okay. And because it's in our face, I, I, I'm kind of switching gears for a second because I just this came to me just now. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's it's in our face now, but we do this thing in America where we pretend like what we see is not happening, or like what Ooh. we're hearing is not happening, and then we call it a different name, right? So somebody okay. said to me, "Why call it white supremacy?" 
why not just call it white privileged? And I'm like, well, why do we keep having to have a why not call it this moment? I mean, like, why do we keep having these these new ways of talking about the same problem? Like, the problem is right here. This is what it's been very plainly, it's been this plain way to us for a very long time, but we keep on creating the semantic thing of like privilege now and like these other words because we don't want to deal with the word itself that has manifested into what we call American culture and politics and religion. So that's the thing that just kind of like makes me want to hold my head and go under the covers. So part of it, so part of it is what you're saying. Part of it is an, an inability to acknowledge ourselves or an unwillingness to acknowledge ourselves. And another part of it is the unwillingness to acknowledge the situation at hand, right? And what actually is present. Yes. So that's Say one that again. of the in the back. <laughs> so then so so then that leads to what about the other side of things? So that, that's the person it sounds like who has the social agency to make some of the changes that we need to see. But what what about the people who don't necessarily have the social agency, where do they fall in the spectrum of this conversation? You know what, Kevin asked me that same question. And I was thinking about it for a long time. I don't know, man, because some people are just kind of like in it. They in it. Like, mm -hmm. what do you say to somebody who's like fully in it and they don't, they don't want to see it. Like they, for me, I'll keep on, keep on trying to have a conversation and asking questions, but, I don't think all of us have the patience to try to, I mean, I have the patience. I'll do it. Cause I'm just curious. I just want to know, you know, so I'll try to get down to the root of it. You know, let's go through it. But mm -hmm. I don't think everybody wants to really take the time to do that. And that's almost a call of responsibility for the rest of us too, because we're in the world with these folks who are like, I'm in it. No, I don't want to hear, listen to you. I'm in it. Nope. Nope. Close my eyes close my ears <laughs> none of that shit's happening i open my eyes i open my ears and the shit that i want to say is happening is what's happening and you're like but wait but the sky is blue too like it's not purple <laughs> Can you, come on now you know what i mean like you, you you're just you're just not gonna i don't know i don't have an answer to that like what do you think like what help us <laughs> so so i kind of have some thoughts on this i have a process and so what i see is a problem and I see a, the, a problem differently than most people see it. You know, here's what I think. And, and this is what's something that I say repeatedly. What we are fighting against is not a person. We're fighting against a philosophy that has existed way before them, right? Mm. Before they came. They just inherited a philosophy. They weren't born racist. They were raised racist. And in right. that way, you know, then that's how they... So, so the thing, the problem that we're facing is a philosophy. But the, but the problem that I have identified is... If there is no interaction against that philosophy and nothing fighting against it, it's just going to pass on to another generation. It's just going mm -hmm. to manifest itself in another way. So it's like, I think people attach the, 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 their animosity and, and sometimes rightfully so, it should be attached to the person, right? Depending on the, on the scenario, I can understand that. But I think yeah. most of the time we, we don't attach it to the philosophy and so we just let it continue. So we harm the person, but we don't damage the philosophy that they inherited. And so they just mm. go on to pass something else. And I think that's something that I find to be a really big problem, especially mm. in things like cancel culture. Mm. Agreed. Agreed. Because, I mean, isn't it all the same behavior with just different people? Like, I mean, mm. really, when you think about it, like when we say on both sides, right? 
I, sometimes I feel like we're trying to out like <laughs> sometimes I feel like it's like an out <laughs> they're trying to out out both sides of both sides it's like you just you know it okay you know your behavior you are we are looking at other people we're pointing them out and we're saying I don't like that person you know what that is that's mm-hmm. called protection. that's us knowing and identifying some of our own behaviors in others I only say this because I used to do it all the time okay yes yeah, so so you're saying the log out of your own eye before you pull the pull the splinter out of your um someone else's Yes, we got. We have to keep looking at ourselves in the mirror first. We are the worst enemy first, and then kind of. I mean, well, maybe for some people it's not, but I mean, for the most part, we're in our own way because we won't be honest about who we are, as we're pointing out, pointing fingers to other people that we're saying that we don't like for whatever reason. We should be seeing ourselves in each other. This is why, for me, it's so easy to see like the conditioning of white supremacy because I see it in myself. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, oh, I see it. I know you got to see. It. I mean, if you don't see it, then like try. And, and I think that exercise of self-reflection makes it makes makes it easier to identify. Like once you really get past that barrier of uh, of self, like and the defense mechanisms that we use to kind of rationalize, you know, things that we do wrong, or or I think I think it's a lot easier to begin to try to start to problem solve. So in my opinion. I actually think that the burden of debate should be on the agreeable people. I don't think it should be against the the assertive, uh, aggressive people. I think the, because I think agreeable people have the, if they're participating in debate, it's not just for the sake of debate, right? It's from a sympathetic and empathetic standpoint. They're actually trying to accomplish something. Whereas maybe an assertive person, um, the motive may be not as pure in my opinion. Okay. I see that. Well, hmm. I'm thinking about that. You so okay. So there was a quote, and I've been hearing it time and time again, and seeing it reflected. There's a famous psychologist. His name is Jordan Peterson. He gets a lot of controversy for what he's trying to bring to a society that is um, abandoning notions such as nobility and um, you know, like this, the whole chivalrous idea that that they're right. leaning more to. I think personally, in my opinion, a more hedonistic society. Um, hedonistic simply just means for anyone who doesn't know, um, indulging in pleasure, right? Uh, pleasure is, um, is looked at as the pinnacle of life and the substance of life is, is boiled down to pleasure. Um, and so I think he's fighting against that. He gets a lot of pushback and he's a very, he, you see him in a lot of debates, very aggressively debating, making Mm -hmm. argumentative claims, but in, in actuality, he has severe depression, severe, severe depression and mm-hmm. anxiety and and by nature he's more of an agreeable person um than anything so it's just interesting you know he mm-hmm. I, I think and he talks over and over again about his main concern being um um honesty he said he said people ask him if if the world were to remember him for anything which would it be and it would be honesty mm-hmm. um yeah like yes and I, I like it too right um was I honest? Was I transparent with myself? Did I argue because I wanted to be right? Or did I argue for the sake of reaching a, um, an am- amiable conclusion? Or, or even attention, right? Like some people, and I say this because I was a person that used to do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So like, I, once you realize like, okay, girl, you need to learn. Like you, you just, you just, number one, you free yourself, right? So like for people, the question you asked earlier, which is like, how do we get to the people who are kind of like stubborn. They, they're holding on to it. They're in it. They can't see past themselves. They're just mm-hmm. like, 
it is what it is and that's what I believe and that's how it is and it's like okay mm-hmm. but just try to think of yourself as someone else and I don't know if there's any other way for us to be able to really get through other about myself now and mm-hmm. about myself I mean you know like, tomorrow I'm going to learn a le- new lesson and I'm going to be saying to myself about yesterday like damn I shouldn't have said that or dang I shouldn't have done this or man I should I forgot to do this or I should have done that like that shit happens every day like we have to be comfortable with kicking ourselves in a way every day and and you know so I think when we're talking to people who are kind of stuck in it honesty is to, to me the only way and and I don't know which way it has to come if it needs to be assertive or what have you mm-hmm. the challenge is for those people who are who are who are finding themselves to be easily offended, right? Because sometimes people are offended, but they don't really, they're not really processing the offense as like actually theirs. It's like, it's an offense because other people are saying it's an offense. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. Say more about that. I think that's interesting. Well, because, you know, you'll have people that will say like, I'm offended because I know somebody else is offended by this, but not really necessarily process the, the offense. So like they may find themselves repeating that exact same thing that was offensive, but not necessarily realizing that they're repeating it. Even mm-hmm. though they're saying that I, um, I find it to be offensive, like the Amy Cooper situation, there's a pre- really prime example, right? Like a perfect example. You know, she was this liberal woman who was supposed to have voted for Hillary Clinton, but she's out here in the park talking about, about to choke the dog. Let's, did anybody, was it just me? Did anybody see that the dog was, did you see that? The Amy Cooper <laughs> Uh, did you, Explain did you, the AP, Amy Cooper what happened. Okay, so Amy Cooper was this liberal white woman who was walking around in her park in the in the park without her dog on a leash. There was a black man that was sitting down, being a human being, watching birds. Amy Cooper herself also a human being, right? Both these human beings walking in the park. One human being was like, uh, "Excuse me, ma'am, could you put your dog on a leash?" And the other human being was like, "What do you mean, put the dog on a leash?" mind your business and he's like i'm just saying put your dog on the leash ma'am and she's like i'm gonna call the police 911 and then she's like oh my gosh there's a black man he's trying to come get me now mind you i talked about two human beings but it turned into mm-hmm. that and so then she's like oh my god i'm he's coming after me and she's having this whole like panic thing and she's on video he has her on video behaving like this of course meanwhile the dog the poor dog nobody talks about the okay. dog trying to survive for his dear life. He's spitting around. She's holding on to him, trying to grab onto him, hold on to him. And he's basically choking and like about to die. He has to bite her to let her go. He's panting wow. on like, <laughs> and I'm like, the news lady's just like, this woman, Amy Cooper, was in the thing. I'm like, no, this thug. She's a thug too, ma'am. Just call her what you see. You know, like, like make it equal. Okay, so that was my holding with Amy Cooper. That's what happened. But the, mm. what the story was, we found out later on that she was a Hillary Clinton supporter. What does that tell okay. us? That liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was doing this thing where she was weaponizing the police against a black man, knowing that we were in the midst of like going through all these protests about black people getting killed by the police, who she supposedly supported a, a political figure who was supposedly supporting black people not being beat up by the police. Mm. There it is. Wow. There. Wow. So, okay, so I feel like we're in the midst of multiple pandemics, if you ask me. The Capitol <laughs> was was evidence of its own pandemic in itself, uh, much deeper than just COVID. 
Um, very sad day for um, so so we have and I think a lot of people may have severed connections with people because of that day, similar to um, during election, especially for people who voted for Trump. Right. So once again, going back to the central idea that um, that the philosophies are if, if no one is using their social agency right against these other people, when are these ideas ever going to be destroyed? Right. Like even even if we accomplish policy. Right. And we change American policy. Right. The American American philosophy has already infected the people and the people are always going to continue to reproduce and spread their ideas. Mm. So so we and I think it's a, a thing we need to talk about. So I hear um, transitioning to a new point. Um, I had a conversation with uh, on a different podcast um, about um, we were talking about um, heinous crimes. We were talking about more uh, things like the death punishment um, um, and killing criminals for like severe crimes that they've committed, such as um, pedophilia, rape, murder, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And so we kind of agreed that um, we, neither one of us believe in mortal punishment. And so the idea was to, if possible, if possible was to rehabilitate them into society. And so it, it got a question stirring on my head. So we, we came up with a political answer but then I'm thinking of a personable answer. Like, how does how does this person's life look henceforth? Like, how do people interact with him? Where does he go? Like, how is he how how do we keep and respect the boundaries of society um, and keep them protected from this person? And how do we also meet the needs of, of this person who who may have committed a heinous crime, but is still an individual who, who is fighting for redemption? Mm. And so I was thinking, like, nobody, I don't know anyone who would, like, see a person committing this atrocious crime who may have changed, who's, who would really be willing to interact with them and see them as a human being. Um, and I think we're coming up, and the reason I mention this is I think we're running into a, a very similar issue um, in terms of this, this political ba uh, debate. It's really dividing and tearing people. And now this, this is very clear the atrocities that they're committing and something needs to be done about it. And some people need to be held responsible for the, oh, absolutely. the hatred, right? In the, in the, and then in the same sense, how do we do that? And this is the question I've been asking myself, how do we tackle this? How do we bring justice? How do we begin to destroy these ideas? Um, and how do we do it in a way that doesn't justify what they're doing? Right? So if I interact with a person who has ideas that clash with my own, whose ideas don't agree with mine, how do I participate in their life without co-signing the things that I don't believe or that I think are dangerous? Mm, so back, back to the meat and potatoes of this whole conversation around right. pedophiles able to, you know, have a chance. I think, you know, this is, this is the uh, unfortunate truth about America. I, I think the American ego is, uh, is actually really the problem is that's our problem. Like, we have this shared ego of like pretending that everything is looking one way when it's not. Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned this pretending is because, you know, within our communities, there are mo many children that are actually ha going through sexual abuse, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it is, it is a problem within our society. It is a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we don't have congressmen putting this at the top of the ticket to say, we're going to take care of our children, 
you know, aside from the fact that, you know, the, 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 the many of these uh, political figures, conservatives are saying that they're pro-life, aside from that, there there's no attention to the Hello. And I'm like, okay, well, aren't we all living in a community, whether it's an apartment complex or, you know, I don't know, um, a suburb, like we're all living in a community, right? And Mm -hmm. we do owe it to each other to a certain degree to be having discussions and talking about these type of solutions in terms of dealing with people in our families Mm -hmm. who have the problems that need to get some damn help because let's be honest so uh, we're a lot of the the abuse that's happening is happening incestuous incestuously it's happening cousin to cousin you know a parent to a child like that's what's happening and so as these children learn these things they guess what they do they go off to a friend's house and they go and they parrot and, and mimic the exact same behavior what happens after that nope either nobody says anything because it's taboo nobody wants to talk about it it's too much to deal with the police got to get involved then i got to interrupt work it's crazy that people would even uh make the excuse to continue to go on about life that way but it happens often and then we learn about all these stories about people talking about oh my uncle and my sister and my brother and my father and all these different things that's going on in terms mm-hmm. of people down and talking about it but guess how many years have come by between that time and the time they talked about it sometimes it's 20 sometimes it's 30 sometimes it's 40 years what do you think that pedophile was doing this whole time right Un- absolutely nobody said anything nobody did anything so not to say that it's our fault it's not to put a blame on it we have to get out of the conversation of blaming each other because mm-hmm. we all don't know how to tell the truth yet we don't know how to be so brutally honest where we know that we're being brutally honest because we know that's the only way to solve the problem, even if for a few days it's going to mean, or months or years, that people are going to be a little uncomfortable. Mm. And, and that's really good. And that goes back to the whole day, idea of love versus agreeing, right? And so I think part of the reason we're afraid of tension is, like I said, because we confuse loving with agreeing, right? And so if I disagree with the style of life that you have, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. Another thing that I think people miss is that love is not affection. It doesn't mean affection. Mm-hmm. Just because you're a, like, if I love you, I don't, if, for example, um, I could have a relative who I love, who, who was a molester. That does not mean I'm affectionate towards a person who molests. That means I... Right. I still wish for their well-being, which also includes their redemption, right? This, which means to put down that behavior. It doesn't mean that I'm affectionate towards them, right? Um, And I think that's another misconception of ideas um, that we have. So, um, and I think here's here's another thing that I think in terms of uh, loving and agreeing, I think that if I wanted to, if I had a problematic behavior because of the way that society portrays it, I'm not going to come out and admit that. Like it's normalized in, in prison culture for a person who commits an atrocity of that nature to uh, to be killed or to be raped in prison themselves or or die being raped in prison or die with a broomstick shoved up their rear or something yeah. of that nature. Right. So why would a person come to the front or to the table and it, and and admit to this and own up to this? Right. When this is the, they're worried about their survival just as much as anyone else. Right. So right. we can't we can't make loving them look like we're going to co uh, to coerce this behavior, this nasty behavior. Loving them looks like telling you this is disgusting, right? Loving them looks like you 
you need to change. You need to you need to shift. You need to take responsibility for this. And we need to normalize people coming up and stepping up and owning up to these ideas. But the danger yes. that, I, that I see and this goes into everything, this goes because there's a lot of different facets of this combination, uh, this conversation. It could be in terms of uh, molestation in a family. It could be in terms of um, rape in the black culture. Right. And how it's it's hush hush. Um, maybe even in fraternities, right, um, and sororities, um, the stories that they have where people don't talk about those kind of things. Uh, mm -hmm. It can be in political ideas. It can be in, like, for example, someone who supports Trump, but no one ever wants to talk about it, um, and they just never touch on the issue and they stay friends, right? right. And, and these are all dangerous things because silence, even, right, not choosing to do something is still a choice. So, so if I choose, right, it can be implied implicitly that, that my silence is is my agreement. Yes. And I and so there's this 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 one side of it where my silence is my agreement. That's dangerous. But then there's this other side of it that I think is just as dangerous where we alienate all people who think in a certain way and leave them to their own. Right. And I, and I don't think either one is a solution. It's not. It's not. And I and I but I think that it's been it's been our conditioning. It's been the way that we've been dealing with things in this country. Everything is a secret, right? Mm -hmm. You think about you all don't bear with me because my room is freezing cold. Somebody decided they went for the AC on instead of just turning the heat off. And now I'm like going through it right now. But bear with <laughs> me. Chitter chattering. Um, but, you know, I think that the 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 what we fail to understand is like, okay, if we think about like our grandparents, right? How many mm -hmm. of our how many stories, how many like very painful stories has our grandparents told us or our parents told us that their grandparents told them about what happened, something that happened in their family? Mm -hmm. How many? Do you have a lot of stories where you're you, where you learned about painful things that happened to your grandparents? Yes. Great... Well, very later in my life. But um, <laughs> yes. Right. But it's very later on in your life. Right. They're not yeah. talking about it as you're growing up. Right. So you don't really get a chance to process how to deal with these certain type of things because our our fam our parents have to deal with all the shame and then the taboo and the humiliation and the embarrassment so nobody everybody just takes the, the you know tries to take the secret to the grave or whoever's left with it doesn't really, really want to talk about it so then we have like these kind of like generational traumas that continue and it's not just black families or white families or hispanic families or asian it's families, like all kinds of stories all over the world of people um, talking about some of the things that they remembered uh, later or that they learned later on in life about their grandparents that they wish they would have known when they were a kid because it would have somehow built some kind of connection or something or maybe taught us about like how to deal with certain things. Right. So that that doesn't get passed on. It doesn't get shared while um, widely. And so we get into these kind of normalcies of keeping things secret. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, uh, don't talk about it. It's uncomfortable. It's going to make somebody feel some kind of way because um, it was never shared with me. So somebody must have not have wanted me to feel something or they didn't want to feel something or whatever. So now I'm con constantly being taught about how to, how to keep secrets, right? How many times have your parents told us to lie for them? And you're like, oh, damn, I got to tell this lady again. You want to talk to her? Are you sitting right here? Damn, why got to... <laughs> You know, you're so mad, like, damn, why are you all going to put me in these positions? Even our parents teach us because their parents teach them and their parents teach them in different and small kind of ways, right? It's all different. Lies, lies are so diverse. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's like so many different ways to lie. Um, and I think that's why we don't want to tell the truth, why we don't feel it's okay for us to have conversations about real things that's happening in our communities. Because if we were, 
we'd be able to prevent some of these things from happening where we're creating these pedophiles. And then now we're in a situation where we're, t we're saying we want to kill them. And it's like, but what happened when he was five and 10 mm -hmm. and 15 and 20? Like what happened in those times? Was he not a human being? <laughs> you know, did he, you know what I mean? So I don't think we're looking at ourselves as, as, as each other. Uh, we're just disconnected. I think we feel like we're, we're not the same, but we are the same. And it's a, just a very quirky thing that I think America has done for too mm. long. You know, and that's something that I said, um, and I've said before, um, a, a common phrase that I like to coin is every villain was once a victim, right? Um, mm, and it, mm. and so, so there's this, I think there's this philosophy to, to kind of aid and abed the, the victim in this country, right? Um, in that paradigm, and it's not that I disagree with it, but what, what happened to the victim that was never addressed, right? Because that's what the villain is. The villain is a victim who was never addressed, um, the issues that never got caught. Once again, going back to this idea that it is not the person, it's a philosophy that you're trying to destroy. Uh, right. I, I asked this person a question. I was like, if there was a mass murderer, um, what do you think would be, would eradicate the philosophy of mass murder more? Uh, converting him into a peaceable person, giving him another chance of redemption or killing him. Because if you kill him, you risk, the, uh, you risk turning him into a martyr if he had any support system or anything like that. Um, right. And his philosophy can multiply and spread to many other people and, you, and more mass murders are going to come about. But if you are converting him, I think that's a much more powerful message if his ideologies and philosophies change. So um, do you, you think that, I was wondering, do, do you think that there is a religious um, aspect to that? Absolutely. Uh, I think I think people misunderstand. Per well, first, uh, and I always give this disclaimer when we get in these kinds of conversations. I have a Christian point of view. I was raised in the church. I've challenged a lot of those ideas from the church, but I still identify with the Bible. I think people drastically misunderstand the idea of turn the other cheek. Right? Mm -hmm. Turn the other cheek is not about uh, being peaceable. Right? Because even Jesus, in a certain instance, showed violence um, when it was deemed necessary. Um, is more about philosophy. And that's why I mention it so yes. often. Like when you think about the Apostle Paul, right, who was actually known for persecuting and killing Christians, right? It's a much more powerful message for him to be the biggest follower of Jesus than, let's say, killing him and turning him in, and replicating him in other places where other people are now killing Christians because you killed, you killed this man, you killed the per this person who was once known as Saul, who then became Paul, um, it's much more powerful, right? Because not mm. only do you, it, even let's hypothetically say, if I were to extinguish this person, it gives me more utility to convert the energy that they have to my side than it is to extinguish it mm. altogether. Um, so, right. And, and, life, go ahead. Right. You're, no, no, to your point, you're saving a life, but you're saving, your li you're saving a life with the perspective of principles that you know is going to help this person to live the best life. And those principles can come and support. Okay, so if, if I had an enemy who was the best at what he did, right, if, that, if, I, if I wipe him out, I don't have to be, deal with him being as good as, as good as he is at what he does. But if I have an enemy and I convert him to my side, then whatever he's good at is now of service to me. Mm, says it's leverage. Right. I, I have that ability to my because he's on my side now. I didn't just extinguish him or wipe him out. Um, 
And so, so I think, I think people uh, drastically misunderstand that. Um, and I think philosophy is a very powerful thing. Um, and so going into this conversation, I think it's very dangerous, like in, we, in this incidence that we're in in time, especially when you have something as the capital, right? And so the reason that I really titled this talk, uh, Political Grace, Getting Up and to the Point, was to communicate like um, being more loving and patient with people who have radical and dangerous beliefs, but in an ironic way. Because I think part of loving them looks like expressing the fullness of the animosity and the anger that you have. I think that's an important part of it. I think, um, and, and this is something that I'll bring up too, your fight is not a, against just philosophy itself. Your fight is not just one of words. You're not always going to be able to convince someone because of your intellect. And the biggest impacts that you see made on people is not because of their intellect, it's because of their character and their heart. So For even sure. if I have a problematic person and I disagree with them. I think I have a social responsibility to communicate that disagreement on a regular basis. Because if I have a, a stock in their life, if I am a person of value in their life to any degree, that if they respect me, then I have some ability to impact them and the, and the dangerous things that they believe. So it could be that I'm amongst someone who believes something and I think that's dangerous and racist and idiotic. And I can tell them that and I can express that to him. Right. And I don't and I shouldn't pass up the opportunity to do so. But that doesn't mean that I have to inevitably cut him off because I think it's a way more powerful idea to say I completely disagree with this idea that you have. And I'm disgusted by it. But you're still in my life because it erases the idea that you have to earn my love or that you earn my love by agreeing with me. And that I, I think that's the starting place that every um, I mean, whatever I think. That's one of the things that, that that's problematic about America when it comes down to politics and religion is that it's so um, the ego tells of American ego is always about assimilating into one set of ideas. Absolutely. Versus versus learning enough about the other set of ideas where you can find commonality that has the exact same goal as what you're trying to achieve. And I think the supremacy that we have in this country and the supremacy ideologies that we have is I think is what is what um, creates that barrier. It doesn't allow us to get much further than just that because now we're debating, well, what yours is better than mine and mine is better than yours. No, is yours going to help lift up people in your community? Is yours going to help lift up people in your community and yours? You know, when I say yours, meaning your religion, your spiritual practice, whatever it is, is it going to make people better? Mm. And I think that America is prepared, has not been prepared was not having these discussions on a broader scale, contrary to the fact that it was say, stating that its imagery was was representing that, i.e. Christianity, right? Mm. I think people like you have to be able to speak up um, and, sh and be an example for mm -hmm. Christians. I'm not I'm a, a, a prescribed Christian. I do understand I was, um, mm -hmm. and I believe that there is a message that everybody of every religion has to be able to tell to mm -hmm. talk to people listen to them who won't listen to me because mm -hmm. i'm not right or won't listen to what whoever else because they're not right but they'll listen to you will listen to those in their their in their circles that's trying to have a philosophical conversation because that's really where i think that can that just to kind of now i'm kind of thinking about your question earlier when you asked mm -hmm. about problem I think having the philosophical conversation, but having it in a way of how that person speaks. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, uh, when I, Elaborate I, I on like, the last part. 
I don't like the term dumbing it down because I don't believe that. I believe that everybody talks the way that they talk. I think people mm-hmm. have different experiences and I think we have to listen to each other in order for us to learn how, how to converse with each other in, in a way that there is you know, clear understanding. So if I, if you don't understand me, this is just an example where I have talked a converse of, of a, a way for people to learn how to have these kind of conversations with people they disagree with. If, if I don't understand what you said, like just how you was like elaborate on that, right? You were mm-hmm. like, wait, let me hear more. I understand. That's simple. You just told me to be more clear, right? Mm-hmm. I now work through my thoughts to make sure I'm more clear for you. We don't do that in our society. Okay. We just assume that I'm, I'm, I know what your intent is. I know why you said that because I've said, I've heard it said by somebody else in that, in a different way, but now you must be saying the exact same thing too. Basically what I'm saying is we're not taking the time to be patient enough to think through some of the things that we're saying and that we're doing, but we are expecting other people to do that. Mm. And so with you being able to go out and talk to people who are really just, just uh, disregarded by society, any, mm-hmm. any person that's considered, that could be cancel culture, right? You're talking about, it could just be because you said something that was controversial yesterday but today you're like, you know what? I realize what I said. Now they're like, people are like, I don't care what, what, what you knew what you said yesterday. Don't try to tell me nothing else. You're canceled. And it's like, but wait a minute. I had to learn. I didn't get a chance. You're not even giving me a chance to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if, if your goal is to interact with people who are trying to figure it out themselves and they don't have a way and you're mm-hmm. trying to help them way, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I just think we get in our own way as a country with trying to, um have this like the supremacy thing and I, I think it always roots back to that like i'm better than you you have to be mm-hmm. in this place i have to tell you what to do and if you're not doing it based off the way that i say to do it then you're completely wrong and you're against me it's like no we're just different so right we're just and you know um i think i think you're exactly right and i think part of the part of adding what to what you're saying about people not willing to la- elaborate i think part of the danger is if you understand me clearly then there's the potential for offense which I think something that needs to be normalized in our society. If you're going to have a society that centers around freedom of speech, then, then offense is something that you should be used to dealing with. And that's probably a solo podcast that I'm going to go through because I, one of the goals that I have out of, out of the channel that I'm creating is I want to equip and empower the agreeable people. The agreeable people have so much um, ability to do things because because they're not going to want to enter debate unless it's for a good reason, right? A good sake. Like, I know I would rather just agree with you and get this out the way. Um, and I really think we should equip them. Um, but um, going into that, I think offense is a mechanism that teaches. It teaches us things about ourselves. It makes us aware of things about ourselves that we didn't realize before. It makes us ask new questions that we weren't asking before. And so really it's a service to us. And this is the same thing. Right. If I offend someone who is racist, right. maybe that'll, that offense is the only thing that is strong enough of a, a reaction to actually get them to reexamine themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And that's not going to happen by isolating yourself from them. Now, I want right. um, to preface that with saying that is I am not putting the responsibility on anyone, right? Especially, and this is something that happens a lot, even in the African-American community. It is not our responsibility to uh, educate people who are, are dumb, right? But, and that's exactly a kind of a dialogue that I think we were having before is that 
I'm not saying that the premise of being in their life should be to change their mind. The premise, the premise of being in their life is to see them as an individual and a human who may have broken philosophies, but just to love them in spite of themselves and not to agree and to take that responsibility to tread lightly that you don't encourage their philosophies instead. Um, There was a a talk that I had that I I don't remember the guy's name, but I I absolutely was very um, amazed by him. He had a friend who was a Trump supporter and some other things, and he was kind of confused because his friend was a very spiritual person and all of that stuff. So he was like, I don't know how you could agree with him and claim to be this person. Right. Mm. Um, And Mm. and he still he said friend. He said friend and he was saying, how can I how can I deal with this friend? How can I interact with this friend? What what are some tips? His first thought wasn't to discard that person. It wasn't just to throw them off, but it wasn't to agree with him either. And that was something he made Mm -hmm. clear that he communicated on several occasions. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, would you want to play some messages before we jump into some more? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's transition into a place of taking these comments. You know, Arrow, um, you're right. We do have a tendency to um, choose to not see what disquiets us or ruins our peace because life is all about positivity, right? And inner peace, bullshit. Um, the thing with uh, the thing with that is that also there are systems alive and well that work twenty four fucking seven towards that end. Um, they do not sleep, all right? They they really want you to look the other way when they need you to look the other way, and it's not big government either. It's us doing it to each other. It's yeah. think tanks. It's not the Bilderbergs, all right? Yeah. It's not aliens. It's us doing it to each other. We And that's part of the bullshit that we got to stomp out is putting all these other names and excuses on things that should only have one name that have one dimension. Yes. Oh, it's right there. Right there. It is <laughs> us. It is we. It is we. Me, us. All those um, adverbs. Is adverb? Is that the right one? I don't know. I wasn't. I liked English, but anyway. But yeah, <laughs> all of those things, that is who we, like, we have to start there. We just mm. got to look at it. I agree. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, absolutely. Let's keep, let's keep going. I would take issue with that. We are fighting a person. We are fighting a people that okay. have let this idea substitute their humanity. It's a para- they They let that happen to each other, bro. These people are not just victims of consequence, all right? Uh, we're beyond the point of considering these people, I think, even fucking human. You know what I mean? Um, I'm absolutely fucking fed up with this shit. We don't have to listen to these fucking assholes anymore. We don't have to give them the benefit of the doubt. We don't have to study them. We don't have to get to their hopes and dreams. We just got to catch the ones that raided the Capitol and really put laws against and I mean laws like they had in Germany after not, after World War II against Nazism, against white supremacy, against rebel flags. Throw them in jail, do whatever, get rid of them. And I think this is an interesting comment. I like that. I like what he's saying because it lets me touch on some things. What if throwing them in prison is the lovable thing? It what is if, lovable. Exactly, because you're punishing them, right? It's it like... Uh, a common belief is that if you spare the rod, you spoil the child, right? 
so if I go, if I let them go on and continue to think that this behavior is okay, what what do you do? You punish because punishment is association. That's where we learn our moral code from. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not. I'm exactly saying what you're saying. I'm not saying give them a benefit of doubt. I'm saying that's what we've conflated with the idea of love for too long. Yeah. Because yes. if you're giving them the benefit of the doubt, you're 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 trying to fight in your mind a mechanism to agree with them. You're trying yeah. to fight for that. And because in your mind, you're so used to associating agreeing with behavior as love. And that's exactly yeah. what I'm fighting. That's what I'm saying. We can yeah. be and angry. We should be angry. We should express that. It's a it's it's an emotion for a reason. But but after that, but after that anger though, I do think that for those of us who are clear about what what words mean, what actions mean, what the consequences of actions mean, who owns those consequences, who needs to be accountable for it and be responsible, which is us talking about ourselves first, those of us who agree on that, who know that. We also have a higher challenge, right, to actually when we're in these conversations with people that are like this is is maintaining our own like avoiding ourselves, trying to avoid getting ourselves into a place where we're so overly emotional about it. when I say overly emotional, I don't mean that in a sense in a negative sense. Right. Because I don't like this discussion in politics where it's like take the emotions out of it. You can't because you're a human being. Everybody mm -hmm. are in it. It is Absolutely. such a trickery, you know, wizardy, <laughs> illusionist spell thing to do. <laughs> so I go back into my Harry Potter visual of how this whole thing works. Um, like, it's just, it, it, like, it's so clear to us that it's a lie when they try to do these things. And yet we still participate in it because it's comfortable. Mm -hmm. But things that, that matter in our lives, the things that we actually really want comes with a lot of discomfort because it comes with a lot of telling the truth, a lot of realizing, oh, it was me. Oh, shit, that was me again. Oh, oh, that was me again. And the interesting thing about this insurrection is no one is taking responsibility for it. They are now then blaming the very same person saying, well, I was asked to do this. Okay, and you did it. That's a choice. Let's go in the jail for, get you, get, for you to get some help and for you to get taken care of. And, and it's interesting how quickly a conversation can, uh, a narrative can be created, right? The lie. This is how easy it is to like navigate through lies in America. You can just put on a newscast and opinion post and he'll just start telling us how it was Antifa. It was BLM. It was everybody else. I'm like, but we said, we heard this for like three weeks. We knew this was coming. Everybody in the, pe like the people we knew, <laughs> We knew this was, it was a matter of time. We didn't know what day. We thought maybe the inauguration. I thought maybe the inauguration. And this is just America behaving in the way that it always has. Mm -hmm. Because we're just not doing the work, the honesty to be able to say, okay, all right. You're, okay. You, you're right. Shit. It is me. Yeah, and every time, absolutely. And prior political conversations, when that, when we were trying to have those conversations, what they would go back to again, get your emotions out of it. Think logically here. Yeah, logic is going to lead you to some emotions because you're going to start having some real honest thoughts in there because the logic is making you face the honest truth. Right. You know, so this, it's just a very quirky, weird thing that's being done. But we have to help people to see that. Like, okay, when you hear these things being told to you over and over again, that you need to do these things, what is going to happen to your life? Mm. 
this is the first place to start. What happens tomorrow to my life? And if you come away with it with still making more excuses after more excuses after more excuses after more excuses after more excuses, after more excuses of why you why you got in the car. Oh, mm-hmm. why you got to drive two hundred thousand miles away from your house? Oh, you don't know where you're going. You don't know anybody in this place. You know, it's just thinking it through. And for us who who sympathize, because there's a problem too that we there's some of us uh, sympathize. Okay. With these ideologies, right? We're like trying to comfort it. Well, baby, we didn't think of it that way because you know he, you know, it's he doesn't right. know anything. Right. And it's what. No, you love them and tell them, yo, no, yo, you need, we need to, I love you. I don't want, I want to help you. I don't think that's wrong, but people think that's wrong. Absolutely. And I think there's an important skill to have. Um, I think it's important to be able to objectively and critically analyze emotions, right? Not to remove them, right? And so I think that's a, I think that's a hard thing to do. So it's, it's kind of seems like either, either leave emotions out of the conversation or, or let the emotions be present. But it's actually a balance of step outside of your emotions in order to examine those emotions. And that's the same thing with offense, right? You have to step outside of the offense and pause for a moment and say, what am I reacting to? What are they teaching me about myself in this moment? What am I being arose to, right? And, and And I think you're right. And anger is not a bad thing. Offense is, once again, not a bad thing. Disagreements are not a bad thing. Being wrong is not a bad thing. Right. Just just be willing to change and adapt. Um, yeah. And that's what we that's what we, we really got to normalize. Um, and, and I don't think for right now in the time being, I, uh, we're not there. We, we, we need to start inching in that direction um, and equipping people to do that. Like like, for example, I love the, the example that you gave. If I gave what is going to happen to me tomorrow? That's a great question yeah. to ask, not even just to yourself, but to ask other people who may believe problematic things like it's yeah. really easy to say something that drastically affects someone's life but when it's someone personal in your life that it's affecting like like yeah. for example your your husband who you said he was a dreamer um what if that person what if your husband who was a dreamer who knows someone who s- voted for trump and they're like best friends well he's like and then he steps up and says something like well this is what's going to happen to me tomorrow by you believing this that's going to be a completely different conversation and he may lose that friend or whatever but his choice to speak up and say that was in his best interest and his friend's best interest right yeah and it, it starts that those little things i was just talking about this the other day i was saying like how often are we actually saying to each other you know what man last month yeah i was almost got it i, I was i was about to be evicted wow and I, you know that I mentioned that because yeah, um, like a lot of people were about to be evicted, right? Like, given COVID, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's we're not in these, we're not these perfect people. We watch these other people's lives who are also lying, right? And mm. when I say lying, I don't mean in the sense of like to me, I feel like it's like automatic. I feel like we're kind of well, I, I say automatic. I don't think it's a human, I mean, I don't think it's an American thing that we lie. I think human beings just lie because that's just we're always trying to make sense of everything. And yeah, you got to go through a couple lies before you get to the truth sometimes. And it's just what it is, what it is. I'm not here to judge anybody by, by it. Cause I have go, I go through, I've gone through it plenty of times in my own life of like, okay, girl, this is, that was a lie. I know it was, I felt uncomfortable about it. I was doing it uh, so bad. I did that. Right. Even if I try to make the point why well, I'm sick, I don't want to be at work today. I don't want to be bothered with this. Like all these little things, those, those things matter too, because it does, it, it gives you the permission to create another one and another one and another one, right? That's like how I see lies is working in, 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 in this, um, you know, in just in general. And mm-hmm. as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking to myself, like, 
we're we're sort of stuck trying to be someone that we're that we that we either hope to want to be um or that we believe that we are mm-hmm. right like believing ourselves to be not all of us but i mean i maybe maybe we all go through this like even though i've always been very honest and open about talking about politics and religion and spirituality and all these different things i still had my insecurities i still had jealousies i still had envy in me i still was greedy i still was selfish i still have all these things within me that i really mm. did not know how to process like my my ability to be humble was like what was that i didn't even know that 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 word meant like i heard it time and time again and i'm like oh sure humble means you know just being taking you know helping other people and, I, and i'm not really digesting what that really actually means right because we're mm-hmm. not having philosophical conversations in our synagogues and our church like it's just like we're just at a race to try to figure out how to make ourselves look as best to each other to be accepted i i, I don't know it's just a very weird place i'm sorry if i took y'all down the rabbit hole hey. <laughs> well, let's take some more of these comments let's let's play these last four hello yeah, oh, yeah, 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 sorry. In my mind, I was saying yes to you. <laughs> so Jordan Peterson is a sham psychologist that is a darling of the extreme right wing, the same people that... It, what he does is he gives a uh, philosophical sheen to old bi- barbaric ideas. And the stuff that he says that sounds revolutionary or sounds reasonable is stolen from other works of philosophy and psychology. He got famous because he, uh, Canada, uh, came up with, um, you know, some kind of laws or regulation on the books for gender pronouns. And he was telling people that it was now punishable with prison time to not call somebody by their preferred prison, uh, pronoun, which was absolutely incorrect. So he is famous off of a lie, like all other Republicans. Okay, because I heard from I heard his talks, and I was very interested in what he was saying. Like, this is a very interesting way to explain these things. <laughs> That's kind of how it's kind of like listen for me is like, um, but at the same time, I can see how people would like take some of the things he's saying i don't completely disagree with everything that he actually says to be honest mm-hmm. with you and i can't remember what they were but i remember listening to and watching a couple of his things like oh okay i mean because here's the thing right if you're gonna if you, you can take you can take the basics of like let's say um i'm sorry let's go through the messages first because that's what we said we we're gonna do and then we'll come back to it i just got okay. triggered <laughs> oh, it's fine let's let's keep going It really seems like it takes an extreme situation to get society to care about things that shouldn't be happening in the first place, like rape, like um, incestuous things, like molestation, stuff like that. It seems like it really does take an extreme situation publicized on the media, even though we know that these things were already occurring in our households, it's a shame that it takes an extreme situation for society to care about human life in general. That's true. Yeah. I agree. It is yeah. a shame. Yeah. We're selfish people uh, to a degree. Yeah. Absolutely. Why are you hating on dogs? Just kidding. I'm not going <laughs> to fuck with you like that. 
<laughs> you know, not liking dogs, and especially for such an emotional reason like that, is not, you know, that's, that's earnest. It's not as weird as having too many cats, though. One cat, you're cool. Two cats, you're suspect. Three cats, <laughs> you shouldn't have any friends. <laughs> I guess that's why I got no friends then. No, I don't know. I have one cat, but I would definitely get like three or four. No, maybe like two or three. Anyway, I grew up with four cats in my house. Don't judge me. I was a <laughs> child to a degree with my cats. <laughs> okay, next one. Who is Mixel Pixel talking about? Is he talking about chimpanzees? Like, give me some context. I just tuned in. Got no idea what you guys are talking about. Thanks for tuning in. And another thing. Um, so I don't remember the comment that you may be referring to in terms of Mixel Pixel. Um, the most recent, I think, I think, I think I know who he's talking about. Um, we were kind of having a conversation about Jordan Peterson. And I, I agree with what you Ruth said. I, I may not agree with everything that he says, but I do agree with a, a good portion of it. Um, yeah. And I see, see, like, I think a, a common misconception that people need to see is like, um, in order to understand what a person is saying, you can't stop at understanding what they're saying. You have to understand why they're saying it. And I don't mm -hmm. think many people examine the motives. And if you understood the motives of what he was doing, like he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't be doing these things right for the, just for the sake of argument, right? <laughs> um, they're, they add stress, tension, and animosity towards his life in general. So he's, he has a motive. And I think it's important to stop and examine the motive in which he's trying to achieve, even if he has some very controversial ideas. And, and that doesn't mean that I subscribe to everything that he says. And I don't think anyone should uh, subscribe to everything anyone else defined. Right. Yeah, agree. And I, it's funny because when I think about the things that, he's, that, that, that drew my attention to him was that I did recognize it was coming from a very like authentic place to me. Even, even though I didn't, I was listening to it and I was like, what? I'm like, okay, wait a minute. But the way that he explains it for why he believes what he's saying, I, it's not so much that I may agree than it is that, you know what, I now understand another person's frame of mind, right? right. It's just like when I go in stereo and I'm talking to people and I'm listening to people, even in the most passionate moments that I may have, I now have learned from that person. I'll come back like the next day or you know, a couple weeks later. And now I'm like, oh, I didn't look at it in this different. And I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm reflecting on it. And I'm like, I didn't think about it in this way. Oh, I didn't look to think about it in that way. Okay, now I understand what they're saying with this. Okay, now when I go talk to other people who are now pointing the finger at those very same people that I was having a very passionate debate with, I can then say, well, actually, what you're saying is sort of true, but I talked to a couple of them and we have like this really passionate conversation and this is actually really what they believe, mm -hmm. right? So for me, mm -hmm. I, feel, I'm, I'm, I have more service. I feel like I'm doing more service in listening to people, even if they disagree with me, having the conversation with them, hoping that I walk away from it being a better person. But if I'm not, I know I got to still work through that. Like I don't have to judge everybody or even beat myself up. I just know I'm working through that and I'm allowed to, and other people are allowed to as well, which is why I think we have to be more comfortable with listening to people say things that are going to be very, very, very nasty and divisive because mm -hmm be confronted we we cannot I, I feel like give everybody a mic let everybody say exactly what they feel and let us address it and if we're wrong then we'll be wrong but at least we open up the conversation for us to deal with the situation honestly by letting people be authentic to who they are versus who we want them to be 
Absolutely. And the, absolutely. And I think that's a, that's a good conclusion to come to as, as we're approaching. I really, I really feel like the end of this talk, um, I think that's a great takeaway. Like, and that's what we should aim holistically, right? I, I say this all the time. A person is not the culmination of their ideas. They are not simply the ideas that they have. That would be a very rigid person if all they acclimated to was the things that they, they believe. There's so much more to you. Like that discards all of your emotions, that discards all of the things that have impacted you besides your belief, right? Your experiences and things like that. Um, maybe your belief determines how you will have experience, but that doesn't, they don't dictate experience itself. Um, yeah. So a person is much more than something that they believe in. And I think you should see that individual and the, and the problematic, you shouldn't ignore the problematic tendencies that they have. Yeah. Um, and so, and I really feel like that's a good conclusion to come to. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're out there, have the political grace, meaning listen, listen a little bit, then respond a little bit. <laughs> and if it gets a little passionate, that's okay. But let it end with the fact that you hopefully you see yourself as a human being in that person. We really are really trying to get to the same place. We really are. We're just we're all over the place <laughs> and I really enjoyed this talk. Thank you so much for having it. I hope we get to have some more. Um, you really do well in like organizing your thoughts <laughs> and I appreciate that. Cause I'll kind of, I kind of sometimes go on a train. I hope I didn't lead you all off the track, um, but it was definitely fun. And I appreciate the. the it was absolutely fun. It was absolutely fun. Thank you. Uh, all right. Catch you guys next time.